Genesis chapter 12, um, and we're going to be there, and then Genesis chapter 15, and we're also going to be in a couple other places, that's page 8 and 9, if you don't have a Bible with you, every Sunday it's helpful to have a Bible, but today will be particularly helpful to follow along in a couple of different places that we're going to go to, just to see what's, what's happening in the text for yourselves, and I think it helps you as you go back and process this, uh, this, this particular sermon. So uh, before we begin, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're here to hear from you. Every heart here has its own struggles, and they're different yet the same. Somehow, you are by your word that's living and active and the work of your Holy Spirit able to take this word and encourage, correct, strengthen, rebuke, give comfort to everyone here. So we pray that that would happen in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'm speaking to everyone, but really, I'm just speaking to a few And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, This morning I'm going to talk about a place everyone, uh, that everyone who begins a Christian journey will eventually encounter. I'm going to talk about a place that everyone who starts on this journey with Christ will eventually encounter. But it's just a few of you are in that place this morning. So today you may walk out and say, wow, that sermon was just for me. Or you might kind of yawn and say, I guess that'll be helpful at some other point. But you will encounter this place. And I hope you're not in the place today, but you will encounter it. I'm calling that place the land of bewilderment. The land of bewilderment. Bewilderment means a state of confusion. You're perplexed. You're in a place that's caused you to lost your bearings. You headed in a certain direction, but a fog rolled in or something happens, and now you don't really know which way to go. And Abraham, who we focused on last week and again this week, he's this, this great man of faith. And it might be surprising for you to find out that he spends no small amount of his time in the land of bewilderment. This great man of faith. Remember we talked about the headwaters of all the blessings of God are are coming through Abraham. This man, especially chosen by God for a special commission, he spends a lot of his life in the land of bewilderment. In fact, the land of bewilderment is frequently visited by the people of God. Turn with me to Psalm 88. So you want to leave your finger there in... Genesis chapter 10, and turn over with me to the middle of your Bible, Psalm 88. This is a song that you sing if you're in the land of bewilderment. Because the songwriter is in this particular place. It's a very unusual psalm, and it's probably the most tragic song in the Old Testament songbook. And if you look with me at verse 14, O Lord, why have you cast my soul away Why do you hide your face from me? So this is a a faithful 
person. He's, he's on this journey, probably started out like many of us with, with a lot of excitement, a lot of enthusiasm, a, a particular course, and he gets to verse 14, and he feels like he's been cast aside by the Lord. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. I suffer your terrors, and I'm helpless. So this isn't just a one-moment event. It somehow started in his youth, and here he feels like he's at the end of his life. And so this whole span, whatever the amount of time is, he feels like he's in this estate where he's been cast aside. And then verse 18, notice it's the very conclusion. wonder how musically you brought this to conclusion. You have caused my my beloved and my friend to shun me. So now everyone's left. God's left. All of his friends have left. My companions are darkness. The end. Some commentators on the psalm uh, can't take this dark ending. And so they say there must have been a lost ending. The original ending got lost and it would have ended on some kind of upbeat. And I would say that some songs on this earth end in sadness. The writer is in the land of bewilderment. And whether he gets out of the darkness in this world or in the next, nobody knows. Turn with me again, going a little bit further right, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20, we're going to look at verse 7. Jeremiah was given this um, commission to be a preacher to a failing nation. And so his best sermon, the one he was going to get the most receptivity from his congregation from, was going to be his very first sermon. Every sermon after that went downhill. Not in terms of its content, but in terms of its reaction. And the, the crowd that he was preaching to got more and more hostile to his message. And here we have about halfway through Jeremiah's life, Jeremiah 20. He's been this faithful pastor. He, he took a very tough assignment. He's in this pulpit where the nation is falling apart. He's, he's trying to be this last voice in the wilderness saying, you guys are totally moving the wrong direction. We, we need to come back to the Lord. And they continue to dismiss him. And then he comes to this place, chapter 20, verse 7. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed, and I have become a laughingstock all the day, and everyone mocks me. See, Jeremiah, I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but he had unmet expectations. I mean, he's going to be the preacher. At least some people are going to follow. I mean, maybe he's not going to be the most popular one in town, but somebody's going to turn towards him, and, and no one does. And after years of trying to preach, now he feels like the Lord himself has deceived him. Some of your uh, translations better said, hey, God, you have seduced me. It's a, it's a marital term. It's a sexual term. It's Jeremiah feeling like he, he's a, he was a lover with the Lord, and then he just got cast off, tossed aside. He got used up by the Lord, and now he's just... Uh, a piece of trash on the side of life's road. 
This is what Jeremiah, the man called by God, feels halfway through his life. He's in, he's in the land of bewilderment. I wonder if you've ever felt like Jeremiah. If you've ever felt like the, the psalmist. I'm doing the right thing, and yet I'm getting beaten. I'm getting abandoned. I'm faithful, but God has forgotten me. And it just just doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense. I've lost my bearings. I'm in the land of bewilderment. Like I said, this land is visited by every traveler with Christ. Some spend more time in the land than others. Abraham spent a significant amount of time. And let's go back to chapter 12 now. And let's look at his journey. This really is the third point in my sermon from last week. If you remember, I talked about Abraham being this headwater of blessing, and I had three points. Every good sermon has three points. And the first point was the way grace works. We saw how grace works. It just God came and he just poured out grace on Abraham. It was incredible to see. And then we noticed in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, God's promises or God's blessings. He pours out all these blessings onto Abraham. And then in verse 4, we read how Abraham's faith affects his feet. So Abraham went just as the Lord had told him. He goes with his family, packs up his blessing. He packs up his family, packs up his faith. And he takes this caravan ride, and he, he's originally from Ur, which is down where you think of um, modern-day Iraq, uh, just the, the middle of Iraq, in between the Euphrates and the, the Tigris rivers. And he's already traveled about two or 300 miles up to the northern border of Syria and Turkey. It's a very hotly disputed place right now. If you've watched any of the news, this is one of the border places that are hotly disputed. And he's up in a place called Haran, and he, he hears the Lord's voice for certain, and he takes a 400-mile journey on foot, and he goes directly south from Haran to a place called Shechem, verse 6. And he lands there, and he sort of plants his flag in Shechem. This is the very middle of modern-day Israel. And what Abraham learns on not just this 400-mile journey, but his lifetime journey, is that faith is not an event. Faith is not a, a one-time thing. Faith is more like a muscle. And you're going to have to exercise that muscle over and over and over again the entire journey long. It's not like I had faith and then that was it. No, it's I, uh, maybe I had faith, but now I've got, I got a muscle. I've got to use that muscle. And Abraham gets to exercise that muscle over and over again. And he starts exercising here as he plants the flag in Shechem. And I want to list four reasons here in chapter 12 that we see how he has to exercise this muscle of faith. First thing, you travel 400 miles by foot in Abraham's caravan. you got a long time to stand and talk or walk and talk. And I can't imagine how many times you said, let's remember God's blessings. Let's remember God's blessing. Let's remember God's blessing. He gave it to us so clearly. He's going to give us this land. We're on this land to the land. We're going to have this great name. We're going to be a part of this great nation. I mean, just imagine how you might have imagined hearing God's promises and you're on the way. It's, it's very clear where you're headed to. And when you arrive, I would have wanted something like Eden. 
That's what I would have been sort of anticipating, this some place that God has called me to, and he's especially preparing it for me. And so it must be all just set, and I'm going to step into this wonderful place. And instead, in verse 6, he steps into a very arid place, very rocky place, and it's already inhabited. And it's inhabited by the Canaanites who are the most sexually perverted Morally depraved, bloodthirsty, ruthless people in ancient history. So immediately, Abraham's stepping into this land of bewilderment. Whatever he would have anticipated this being like, it's certainly different with the Canaanites in the land. And maybe he said something like this, Lord, I I thought if I trusted you, I thought if I sacrificed by moving my home, I thought if I took it that that step of faith, then surely you would have prepared a nice, comfortable place for me to live. So many people think that along with Abraham. And now I find out I'm going to be locked in a lifelong battle with the evil Canaanites. That's not at all what I was anticipating. I, I remembered your blessing that I was going to be a part of a nation, a great land. You, you prepared it for me. And now I find out it's inhabited by these people. And I'm going to have to spend my whole life battling against this crowd. It's, it's bewildering. Second, you see here in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham or Abram. And he said this. It's like a, a, a sending a, a, a note card to Abraham. To your offspring, I will give this land. I, I thought it was going to be me. See, see, I'm back in chapter 12, verse 2, saying, Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. And I find out I'm just here for my kids. It's not actually going to be me. It's going to be somebody who comes out of me. I mean, I don't know if you feel a disappointment, you feel a bewilderment, you feel like maybe kind of it was like a shell game. I want you to go and whoa, whoa, it's going to be your kids. I don't know how you might feel at that point, but could be that there's some sense of Abraham saying, so so I'm not going to get my best life right now. It's it's going to be delayed. Could be a bewildering bewildering experience it's going to have to be a place where he exercises this muscle of faith third chapter 12 verse 10 you've heard this trouble comes in threes so here's the third one this wonderful land It's especially prepared for Abraham. He's made all the sacrifices to get there. Finds out that the Canaanites are there. Finds out he's not actually going to own any piece of this land. And third, what does it say? Now there's a famine. (laughs) I mean, God, can't you just make it rain? I mean, you sent me to this land. I, I've done all this stuff, and, and now we've, we've got a problem with we can't even grow any food. I'm, I mean, if you're Abraham and you've come from this fertile plain in between these two rivers, you've, you've packed up your family, you, you've moved out of your comfort zone, you've come to this place and you find all these things out, you just want to pull your hair out. And you want to say something like uh, Jeremiah may have said, I feel like I've been seduced, I feel like I've been tricked. 
Maybe I misheard what God said. Maybe, maybe on this 400-mile journey, I was supposed to take an earlier exit. And I just missed the place. I must have missed it because if you're walking by faith, if you're following the living God, then you just don't end up in famine, right? Yes, sometimes you do. And when you do, it's this land of bewilderment. This blessing turns into the land of bewilderment. I personally thought all those things in my life with the Lord. You've tricked me. You've abandoned me. You switched the game on me. You sort of said, Paul, let's go this way. And then, whoops, it's going to be different. I hope you've read the book Pilgrim's Progress. You know this book by John Bunyan? It's really one a really popular book, but an older book. And if you haven't read it, I would encourage you, especially read it if you have children, because it's a great book for children. And it's about a journey. It's about a journey of this guy whose name is Christian, and he's on this Christian journey. And he starts in the city of destruction, this sort of the worldly place, and he's on his way to the celestial city. And all the way through the book, it's just different people he encounters, different lands he encounters. All of them very difficult, or at least most of them very difficult. And he has all kinds of trials. But there's this one place in the book about halfway through that I want to read the entire chapter to you. And it's called, the title of the chapter is called, Traversing the Plain of Ease. All right, so he's halfway through. He's had a lot of battles, and he finally comes on. You turn the page, and he's traversing the plain of ease. Let me read the whole chapter to you. You ready? Christian and hopeful, this is his friend, went on until they came to a delightful plain, a plain called Ease. And just when you read it, you just, oh, yes. I like the plain of Ease. I hope there's a home on the plain of Ease that says Paul Phillips' residence. <laughs> there they walked with freedom and contentment. The plain was narrow and they were soon over it. The end. That's the whole chapter. That's a lot of people's experience. You get to this place and you say, I finally arrived, but it's narrow and you're soon over it. You wanted to stay there. You wanted to maybe live your whole life there. But you come out of a difficult place. You find finally some place, and it's so narrow. And it just says that the next chapter, uh, they, they start going uphill. John Bunyan was a pastor who spent 12 years in prison because of his faith. So he knew about the land of bewilderment. Notice chapter uh, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord. This is a, an exercise of faith. He's not just building an altar in Shechem, which is the location of the altar. He's building the altar between the Canaanites and famine. You see, it doesn't look at all like what I thought, but I'm still going to trust the Lord. See, I would much prefer to build my altar on the plain of ease. I, I would much prefer to build my altar between freedom and contentment. 
I would much prefer to build an altar between friends and financial success. It's easy to build altars when you're in that spot. But see, Abraham, this great man of faith, is saying, hey, I heard the Lord, I trusted the Lord, and now that I've walked into this land of bewilderment, I can just abandon him and say, I'm going back. Or I can build an altar and say, I know God, even though I don't sense what he's doing, I can trust him, and I'm going to build my altar right here in the middle of all my pain and bewilderment. It's a great exercise of faith. To just reaffirm in that moment when nothing looks like it's going right to say, I'm still going to trust God. I'm not going to trust my circumstances. I'm going to trust the Lord, which is what Abraham does. So those are three reasons. They're all external reasons that Abraham sort of lands in this land of bewilderment. And then I want to just read a couple of verses from chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. And say, Abraham to add to exercise his faith in a little bit of a different way here. And the end of chapter 12 has to be, it has to be a low point for Abraham personally. Because of the famine, he's got to find some food. And the nearest place that looks like has food is Egypt. So he continues to travel south toward Egypt. And he's really afraid of the Egyptians. And he's really afraid that they're going to notice his wife. And so this is what he says. And when the Egyptians see you, this is chapter 12, verse 12. Imagine just walking with your wife who's starving. Who's left her home. Now, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this, this, is, this is his wife and they're going to kill me. We, and we can't have that happen. But they'll let you live. So this is what we're going to say. You say you're my sister. And then just notice, let just hear this, husbands and wives. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. Mm, mm, mm. I, I don't mind, Sarah, if you have to suffer as long as I'm okay. I don't mind throwing you under the bus as long as I'm rescued. This is pretty much what Adam tried to do with Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. Just throwing people under the bus so you can rescue yourself. May it go well with me because of you. See, Sarah, I know you're going to, you're, you're my wife, and I'm gonna, but I'm going to have to allow you to be taken by Pharaoh, and you're going to have to be part of his harem, and you can imagine what that meant. But at least it's going to be okay with me. Okay has to be this great man of faith has to be a low point for him and his wife. See, the bewilderment here in this particular these particular verses, it's not with the Egyptians. It's the it's the bewilderment is the condition of Abraham's heart. That's what's so bewildering here. This man who's exercised great faith, here you just get to see inside of his heart. See, the, the single biggest threat to God's promises, it doesn't turn out that it's the Canaanites. It doesn't turn out that it's the famine. It doesn't turn out that it's anything external. It turns out the biggest threat is Abraham. It's the condition of his own heart. And when you finally come to terms with this reality in yourself, that, that you say, I understand my biggest threat 
to my understanding with the Lord, with walking with the Lord, actually isn't external circumstances, it's what's going in my heart, then that can be a bewildering place. It's very much easier to look out and say, well, I could have faith if these external things would sort of come around. But see, Abraham, what he, he learns here, and it's bewildering, is the condition of his heart is the biggest problem. That's going to be his biggest enemy. And when the self-image gets shattered, it's, it's the land of bewilderment. I can no longer trust myself. I'm not sure I could have trusted God, but now I'm, I'm not sure I can even trust myself. The Apostle Paul talks about this, this land of bewilderment where your self-image gets shattered in Romans chapter 7. Let me just read a few verses to you. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that's what I do. I know nothing good lives inside of me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do to what is good, but I can't carry it out. And when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man that I am. Who could possibly rescue me? From this body of death. See, he's in this place that Paul's looked around and said, the biggest problem, it's inside of me. I don't need an external rescue rescuer. I need an internal rescuer. It's the same thing Abraham's learning here in chapter 12. What possible game plan could there be for God to say, I'm not just going to rescue from external enemies. I'm going to rescue from internal enemies. I'm going to rescue you from yourself. Genesis chapter 15 is the answer. So let's turn one page and look at that. This is a continuation of Abraham's bewilderment. Verse 2. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. See, this, this, this part of this plan was you were going to have a child. And here he's getting old, and I've continued childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, when you see the word behold, it means sort of pay attention. So this is a prayer of Abraham to God. So what is Abraham saying? Hey, God, pay attention. In case you haven't noticed, you haven't given me any offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. So this is a continuation of this very often visited land by Abraham, the land of bewilderment. He looks at God, he prays to God and says, you know, God, in case you haven't noticed, you're not coming through. God, you may say one thing, but how can I trust you? So God brings Abraham very graciously out of his tent, verse 5. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Just start numbering the stars. You, you know, Abraham, it's going to happen that you, you won't even be able. You, you can't count zero right now, but there's going to be a day you, you can't keep up. It's too many. And verse 6 is this great moment of faith. And he believed the Lord, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This great moment, verse 6, you, you have this great moment of despair, 
And what I love about this, these series of verses, you have this great moment of despair. Then you have this great moment of, of hope. Yes. Okay. God's going to do it. So, you know, down back up and you're like, yes. And Abraham's just about ready to blow out the candles on his birthday cake of faith. And verse eight. But he said to the Lord, oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I mean, just right back down. So realistic, isn't it? How many know that feeling? You're so down and you're so up and you think I can never get off this this mountaintop. And it's just a peak because almost immediately back down. How do I know? But notice that his questions aren't really about God. It's more about himself. How do I know that I'll possess the land? See, I'm really messed up inside. And I I think you'll come through. I don't know if I'll come through. I don't know if I can count on me. I I think I can count on you. I'm not sure about myself. Abraham knows, knows himself. And so God does something very important to solidify Abraham's faith. He makes a covenant with Abraham. You see it in verse 7 through 18. In our day, we have contracts. But in their day, they have what's called covenants. It's, it's an acting out of the agreement. And it binds you together. There's certain agreements, and it's like the small print. If you don't do your end, you know, you, you're going to pay this price. And so in Abraham's day, they acted out the covenant. And the way they do, it's described in those verses, is you, you take some animals and you cut them in half. It's a pretty gross thing. And you put them in it's sort of uh, uh, mirror images of each other. So you have these animals that are bleeding in towards the middle and you put them in pairs and you sort of basically make a pathway and the path is called the blood path. And what happens is, is that you and this person that you're making agreement in, you walk the blood path and you recite what you're going to do, what's your part of the agreement, what's your, what's my part of the agreement. You're walking through this bloody path, and what you're basically acting out is to say, if you don't keep your end, or I don't keep my end, may it turn out to me that I'm bleeding and torn in pieces. Very vivid contract. Imagine if we signed contracts like that today. The cable man comes by. Hey, you know, I know we've got to sign a contract, but, you know, you guys aren't too uh, trustworthy. So I got some animals out back, and would you mind just doing the blood path thing with me? I mean, my guess is you get a lot better service. So, th- so they walk this blood path, and what's striking about this event is how uh, Abraham descri- or Moses describes it. And let's just read it in verse 12. The sun was going down. See, the sun's going down physically. It's also the sun's going down on Abraham. A deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon Abraham. Why? Who wants to keep a contract with the Lord? Mm. He's going to keep his part. Who wants to walk the blood path and say, hey, I'm going to keep my part 100%. Nobody wants that. And so Abraham is in this dreaded state of, I don't think I can keep my part. Verse 17, a smoking fire and a flaming torch, this representing the presence of God. It walks the blood path alone. 
And this is, this is so important. It's so huge because, because God walks this blood path alone, He's saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to keep my part of the covenant and I'm going to keep your part of the covenant. So if I mess up, which I know is not going to happen, I'll be torn into two, into two and I'll be bleeding. But if you mess up, I'll keep your part of the covenant and I'll be torn in two and I'll be bleeding. See, he's going to keep your side and he's going to keep our side. And when you understand the grace of God to that level, it's it's bewildering. That God is able to say, if you don't keep your end, I'm going to be torn apart and I'm going to bleed on your behalf. See, God does the exact opposite of what Abraham did with Sarah. Remember what he said? May it go well with me because of you. God turns and looks at Abraham and says, may it go well with you because of me. This land of bewilderment is a difficult place. Everyone who lives the Christian life is going to enter into this land. Some people live in this land longer than other people. I hope it helps you see that Abraham, this great man of faith, spent a lot of his time in the land of bewilderment. Bewildered by circumstances, bewildered by himself. And what helps him is his bewilderment at the grace of God. To say, Abraham, I'm strong enough to get you all the way home. So you don't have to worry about me keeping my part, and you don't have to worry about you keeping your part. I'm going to keep both parts. That's grace. Let's pray together. Or some of my friends here and, and even some strangers.